Father, thank you for your word, for all that happened in the life of Jesus. And we want to know him more. And we pray that you'd help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story that we're talking about in, uh, in this session this morning is um, where Jesus was brought to the temple as an infant. Um, and so really, it's, it's about the reactions of two old people who meet with him meet with him there. Um, and it's all about hope. Now, that was a bit too much for me to resist. Uh, so... Uh, Star Wars, of course. Now, at the end of this sort of pre-backstory film called uh, Rogue One, how many people have seen the film Rogue One? Probably quite a few have and quite a few haven't. Okay, so at the end of of Rogue One, a character, the character on the right, comes in and presents to Princess Leia of the Rebel Alliance this sort of electronic item and somebody I think says what is that to which he gives the answer test your Star Wars knowledge those of you uh, her answer is hope that what they've given her is what they've passed on to her is hope now what they've actually passed on to her is some electronic device with the plans for the Death Star, which might reveal a weakness in it. And that's the end of that film, but as those of us who, from 1978 onwards, uh, those of you who are old enough to have gone and seen Star Wars in 1978, uh, anyone went and saw Star Wars in 1978? Yes, I did. Yeah, cardboard cutouts of Darth Vader in the foyers of the cinemas. Yes. Get in. Uh, so, uh, as we know, that those plans were very, uh, very significant. Right now, the thing that that shows us is that normally, for us to have hope, we need something to be the basis for that hope. Right, and having the plans for the Death Star was the basis um, uh, for uh, for the hopes of the Rebel Alliance. Now, we're going to do a bit of imagining of a different situation. And throughout the talk, in a way, I I want to do quite a bit of imagining through the talk. So if it helps you to shut your eyes, uh, feel free to do so. If it turns out that you need a snooze, you can pretend that you're entering imaginatively into the Bible story and you can get your 40 winks that way. And I won't know any different, and nor will anybody else. Um, But the hope is that we can step into the Bible story, and in a sense, allow it to become our story as well. I'd like you to imagine, uh, I'm going to put some images up um, uh, throughout the talk on the uh, the screen, which may help. I want you to imagine you're a Palestinian Christian today, living in Gaza. You're old, you wanted a quieter life in retirement, and more than anything else, You want there to be peace and stability for the Palestinians. The possibility of building homes, building lives, making plans, building communities, farms, businesses. But instead, you live crammed into a kind of fortress on the edge of Israel, subject to endless restrictions. Your own community leaders think that violence is the answer But that just leads to more conflict, destruction, violence, and deadlock. And half the buildings around you are reduced to rubble. 
by that conflict. It's actually a wonder that the church is still standing. What are the chances of a better future happening anytime soon? They look pretty bleak. The conflict just seems to be getting worse, more and more angry, and more and more entrenched. When you feel down about this and about your situation, you quite often wander into church to sit down and reflect and pray. And that's what you're doing now. After a few minutes, the door opens. And a young woman and her infant baby, maybe five or six weeks old, come into the church. Maybe they're getting away from the noise of the bombardment for a few minutes. A young man opens the door and follows, follows her in shortly after. Her partner, you suppose. It seems so young and fragile. You wonder if they'll even be alive in six months' time. And I wonder if we could now have our Bible reading. The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses um, <clears throat> 21 to 40, and it's Jesus presented in the temple. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was, na- his, he was named Jesus. The name of the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what he said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Then was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. 
Coming up to them at that mo very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Kath. How can hope, how can hope lead us to Jesus? And how can this story draw us into a closer relationship with Jesus? I don't sort of feel I have a neatly packaged answer to any of those questions. More uh, a set of perhaps slightly disconnected thoughts, and I hope they're not too disconnected. But I think there are some hints in the story about how hope and longing can draw us towards the, the Lord Jesus. And hopefully we can just sort of soak ourselves in this story and let it draw us in. I think it's always good to ask where we are in the story. You know, do we, which character, Simeon or Anna or Jesus' parents or somebody else, one of the bystanders perhaps, who do we identify with in the story? So, Simeon and Anna and others in the temple met Jesus as a result of kind of holding fast to the Lord, hanging around the temple, looking to the Lord to change their situation and bring a better, uh, something better out of their situation. Now, our daughter, Rachel, uh, her middle name is Anna, uh, and that's partly actually um, from, from this incident in the, in the Gospels. That's part of why we chose the name. And you could say that her middle name is a kind of lifelong prayer, that she too, like Anna, would hold fast to the Lord, stay close to him, delight in his voice, and be used by him in his good, in his good plans. Um, I'm not quite sure why this story um, is such a favorite, but it, it, I, I do find it a very, a very special story. Now, Anna's and Simeon's stories, they're, they're about great longing in a situation where there just doesn't seem any prospect of an answer. They were looking out for the consolation of, of Israel, which means the liberation of Jerusalem and the surrounding area from Roman occupation. I mean, it really is quite a lot like being a Palestinian longing, or, or anybody really, longing for a solution to the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. Right? You can long for that, but that doesn't mean that you can see any signs of actually happening anytime soon. The longing and hoping of Anna and Simeon and others must have been kind of wistful and sort of despairing. It just was longing for something you just couldn't see happening. And I wonder if that's a point at which we can step into the story. Do you ever find yourself in Anna's or Simeon's place longing and hoping for something that just doesn't look like it's ever going to happen? Or about a situation that you just can't see changing? And yet this hopeful, well, it's hopeful and hopeless, isn't it? It's, it's hopeful, hopeless longing, but it somehow helped to bring them face to face with Jesus. 
And can the Lord show us something by helping us to step into their shoes and bring the story alive? Simeon was righteous and devout. Anna hung around the temple, worshipping, praying, fasting, day and night, it says. They were both looking for the consolation of Israel. So being righteous and devout, those are kind of old-fashioned virtues, aren't they, that Simeon had? Righteous and devout. And Anna, devoted to worship, to praying, to fasting, and being constantly in the Lord's house, as though they were trying to kind of get close to the Lord or stay close to him, or be in the place where they could sort of stand the best chance of meeting with the Lord. Now, all of those things, being sort of righteous and devout and hanging around where you think you can best meet the Lord, they're not, a, they're not exactly a recipe for encountering Jesus, right? You do all those things. It doesn't guarantee that the Lord's going to fix your situation or come and meet you. But they are somehow part of their story and part of how they met with Jesus. Two old people, a man and a woman, who maybe thought they couldn't do much at their time of life. You know, their time for kind of dynamic action was in the past. Um, what could they do? Um, well, there they were, persistently holding on to the Lord, despite what they saw around them. And I think that sometimes the most significant times in my own walk with the Lord have been when there's not been much else I could do. You sort of come to the end of your own resources. And I mean, those of you who have been coming for a while, you've perhaps heard me talk about how I brought my unhappiness at being single in my 30s to the Lord. And that was a very significant time of encounter uh, with, with the Lord for me. And there've been other, but there have been other crises as well and sort of moments of just running out of anything I could do myself particularly in relation to my career. So feeling stuck in my career as though I was in a role that I wasn't enjoying. So, so there was a time, in lots of ways I did enjoy the time that I spent working in textiles, but there came a point where I wasn't doing very well, I wasn't really enjoying the work, but I also couldn't see any possible way that that could change because the things that I wanted to do, I didn't think I could get into and I didn't see any role around within the, business that I, that I was in that I, I wanted to do it's just quite scary to feel stuck I mean another another time was when I was coming to the end of my PhD we were living in Edinburgh we wanted to start a family but in order for us to start a family um, I needed to be earning some money um, and they just that was not straightforward um, there weren't many jobs around um, I applied for quite a number of them and got rejected uh, quite a lot of times. Uh, it just didn't look, it looked pretty bleak. We know that that turned out better and that, that brought us down here. Um, I think the hardest thing about these situations is that you can't see how anything's going to change. It looks, in fact, the opposite. It can look really clear to you that nothing is going to change. All you can do in that situation is bring the situation before the Lord. And you, have, you do so not having the slightest idea what, he's, what he could do about it. You don't even know really what to ask for. You try to avoid drifting away from the Lord or giving up. You just sort of keep on at him in some kind of hope. And I think that's what Simeon and Anna did. 
uh, as well. I wonder whether there's a role for worship and prayer here. And I think we can perhaps take our inspiration from Anna in particular. This story, by the way, seems to have been a favorite among artists who wanted to... Um, so this is Rembrandt's um, little portrait of, of, of Anna. So Anna devoted herself to worship and prayer in the temple. And I think sometimes worship is easier than prayer because you can just kind of put some music on of whatever style. You don't have to kind of think of words. I mean, of course, you don't have to do that in prayer exactly either. But, but somehow listening to worship can be a bit easier. It can carry you. Um, and that can be very significant for me. It can give us a language where we can't come up with the words ourselves. And it's a gift. And I think we, we should use it, um, whatever our favoured style of music, right? Because there's music that can draw us close to the Lord in all sorts of, in all sorts of traditions. Uh, it's also, I think, in some ways, from this story right now, this is actually a, something of a challenge uh, for me because I actually find it quite difficult to listen to music um, at any time where I need to do anything else at all because I tend to get completely sucked into the music. So I can't work to music. Um, I, I won't do any work. <laughs> I just listen to the music. Um, and actually even holding conversations I find quite difficult if there's music going on that's got like, any kind of interest to it. And the kind of music that doesn't have any interest to it, I don't like listening to. So, um, so, it's, so it's, not, it's not entirely straightforward. Um, but I think this is maybe the passage's challenge for me. How can I live more like Anna and find ways of incorporating worshipping a bit more into daily life um, uh, and taking what's going on in life and the things that concern me and that concern us to the Lord in worship and in prayer? We've each got different individual challenges, family challenges, and we've got the challenge as a church of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that often isn't interested or is at times actively hostile. Nationally, church involvement is declining. But we're longing to see the church grow. Well, how's, how's that going to happen? Um, how can the presence of Jesus come into our lives more individually and as a community? It's not always obvious how these things can happen. And the passage doesn't offer us a recipe for success, but it shows us two people who hung around where they thought they could meet the Lord and stayed as close to him as they could in worship and prayer and brought their longings to him. And I think it will be a good thing in a few moments for us to respond in, in worship. But I want to offer some other uh, reflections uh, first. And the, and the first is to do with grace. So I, I think there's, this is a story of, of the Lord's grace. There's nothing actually about Simeon's and Anna's devotion that guarantees that they will meet God. It's entirely his mercy and kindness the Lord seems to have given Simeon the Holy Spirit as a kind of constant companion. 
that's a real kindness to him, isn't it? Um, the Holy Spirit seems to have led him and shown him that he wouldn't die before he, he'd seen God's rescue. Um, and incidentally, at that time, the Holy Spirit was just given to sort of particular, a few special people, if you like. Well, since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's available for all of us. That's a kindness that's now extended to us all. The Lord had, yeah, so it was the Holy Spirit that guided Simeon to enter the temple to meet with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Anna lived in devotion to the Lord, but it's entirely his grace that she didn't make herself a prophet. The Lord spoke to her and gave her things to say that would be an encouragement and direction for those uh, around her. That's, that's not come from her, that's come from him. And that, I think, is the same for us. Nothing we do can force God's hand or guarantee that we will meet with him. We just need to kind of look to him. I think it's also a matter of God's grace that Simeon and Anna and others managed even to keep hoping for the consolation of Israel. It must have seemed so obvious that it wasn't happening. How do you keep hoping? Hoping. It is like Gazans hoping for a stable and peaceful Palestinian state. You need God's grace, I think, to keep hoping. I think the passage also shows us some things, some remarkable things that happen when we do stick close to the Lord. So one of the things that I've noticed in this passage is that what Simeon and Anna see, what they even see, changes as a result of the Lord's grace upon them. So, you know, remember my suggestion that this scene is a bit like a, a, a young couple with their baby stepping into a church in Gaza. Well, you know, here's a baby and a mother in Gaza. Slightly different story, in fact, behind those. But they're the right sort of age. Um, why does Simeon think that he has seen God's rescue, God's salvation, and something that's going to transform the lives of, Is of Jews in Israel and non-Jews across the whole world? He's just seen a baby who, you know, probably looks a bit like a frog, like most newborns do, you know. Why does he think that something that looks like that is... The art, he doesn't even know whether the baby's going to survive. Why does he think that he's seen God's rescuing king? Why does Anna, after seeing the baby Jesus, praise God and speak about him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem? How can they see in a six-week-old infant the answer to Israel's political strife? I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. You know, there's a, there's a month or so old baby. That's what Jesus would have looked like. How do you see in that the answer to your nation's troubles? But of course, Simeon and Anna were, were right. In a surprising and a painful way, as Simeon warns Mary. But somehow when God's grace comes to us, we can sort of see our surroundings in a different way including this astonishing way that Simeon and Anna see the, the, the infant Jesus. 
a way that otherwise makes no sense and I think that can only come from God. I think it's also worth noticing what happens as a result of Jesus' encounter with Simeon and Anna. So I want to pick out a few things that happen as a result of the encounter. So Simeon helps Mary and Joseph to see who Jesus is. And that must have been quite a gradual process. So Simeon tells Mary, particularly, about what's going to happen to Jesus and about what's going to happen to her. So Simeon, and so they're not the only ones who help Mary and Joseph to come to this realization, but they play their part. So they help Mary and Joseph along the path of understanding what Jesus' life is about. There's also an impact on the other people hanging around the temple uh, as well. Those who are seeking the consolation of Israel. Well, what, what actually is the impact on the, the, those other people hanging around? We're not exactly told, but I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to offer a few guesses. Um, so here's, here's one observation from later in the Gospels. Luke's Gospel, in fact. Later in Luke's Gospel, when Jesus is being led out to be crucified... He's followed by some women called women of Jerusalem who are wailing and beating their breasts and kind of in distress for him and in distress for the way in which his life is kind of coming to this sudden end. Is it possible that these women of Jerusalem were some of the people who heard Anna's uh, speaking about Jesus and for whom that was their cue to look out for how Jesus' life went and developed. Could Anna have played her part in their attention to Jesus and their following of Jesus? Are they some of the fruit of Anna's gospel ministry? Well, that's one, one possibility. I think there's another group of people for whom Anna's encouragement may have been crucial. So Anna plays her part in enabling those whose life revolved around the Jerusalem temple to believe and trust in Jesus. So she was talking to the people who, who were hanging around the temple. Were there people within that kind of temple community who became Christians over the course of Jesus' life? Well, the answer to that is yes, there were. There were people among that temple community who became who became Christians. And we've got evidence, in fact, in Luke's gospel itself. So Luke's uh, not a Jew. He seems to have been from Antioch. He's a Gentile. Um, but for a Gentile, he's surprisingly interested in the temple. So where does Luke's gospel start and end? I didn't know this until I uh, started thinking about this this week. Luke's gospel... Did you know this? Luke's gospel starts and ends in the temple in Jerusalem. So it starts with John the Baptist's father being encountered by an angel in the, in the temple and being told that John the Baptist is going to be born. And after Jesus is taken back up to heaven, uh, at the very end of the gospel, the disciples return from Bethany to Jerusalem and they hang around in the temple. So Luke's got, Luke starts and ends his gospel in the Jerusalem temple. 
That's kind of surprising for a Gentile writer, probably writing to a Gentile audience as well. And Luke gives us a number of stories which take place in the temple, including today's story, but there are some others as well. Uh, So when Jesus, as a young boy, um, hangs around in the temple, right? only Luke gives us that story. And in Acts, so Luke also wrote Acts, um, in Acts, Luke tells us details of the discussions, like who said what, so sort of private details of the discussions that take place about what the, what the temple council is going to do about the apostles in Luke 4 and in Luke 5. There are two sets of discussions, and Luke gives us the details of who said, of who said what. Well, where did Luke get the details of these things? Well, that we do know the answer to, because he tells us. Okay? But a, a passage well worth paying attention to. Uh, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, he says halfway down this passage, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And who's he paid most attention to? He's paid most attention to those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. That is to say, those who carried the, carried the message. So Luke's, Luke's a historian. He's writing history, a, a historical biography of Jesus, and he's a good historian. He's paying attention to the eyewitnesses. I think that given the detail that Luke has about what's going on in the inner sort of group in the temple... Maybe some of the eyewitnesses that he's gone and checked out are people from the temple community who came to a faith in Jesus. Okay, what, what does that show about Anna? Doesn't it seem likely that she played her part by speaking about Jesus to those around the temple who were longing for the redemption of Jerusalem? I mean, it's a, it's a speculation, But don't you think it's a thrilling possibility? This old lady's words, I suggest, had an impact in God's plans. They led others to pay attention to Jesus, which helped those people to come to Jesus. And those others helped Luke to write his gospel. And Luke's gospel, we're still, we're reading Luke's gospel today. Luke's gospel, Anna to the eyewitnesses, to Luke's gospel, to us. We're reading Luke's gospel, and Luke's gospel is helping us and others to find faith today. Anna's testimony is still bearing fruit today, if if this chain of events is right. How can we draw close to Jesus? I mean, sometimes, sometimes there isn't much we can do ourselves. But maybe others can help us. And I think that's part of this story here as well. Anna helped others to draw close to Jesus. Maybe they wouldn't have paid much attention to him but for her, but for what she said. Members of the temple community came to faith in Jesus later on as they witnessed his life and death and resurrection. And Luke is identifying Anna This older lady who made it her priority to stay constantly as close to the Lord as she could. As somebody who first told those temple believers about Jesus. And right from that first visit to Jerusalem 
and to the temple as an infant. So what does this story tell us about encountering Jesus? It tells us that it's all God's initiative and his grace. There's not a recipe for encountering Jesus. Anna and Simeon shows us stayed close to the Lord in worship and prayer. They were open to the voice of the Lord in their lives. And they continued to hope despite the circumstances. And they brought their longings to the Lord. And the Lord used those to enable them to encounter him and to encounter Jesus. And the Lord used, used those longings and that encounter to help others to find their way to Jesus and to direct their attention towards him too. Maybe we can take a minute or so just to reflect. So I know that's a sort of load of slightly scattered thoughts. But let's just take a minute or so. I'll put, I'll, I'll put a few of those images back up and circulate them around um, sort of from, from one to, to another. But should we just take a couple of minutes and just think about where am I in this story? And which part of the story speaks most to me? And then maybe let's take our example from Anna and spend some time in worship and prayer um, in, the next, in the next stage of our service. All right, let's, uh, let's be quiet and reflect. <laughs>